presented by Amazon. Good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghuman Avalin. It's Friday. In today's show, the latest in Ukraine and some GOP palace intrigue. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. Political colleague Nahal Tuzi has the read of the day, a direct, clear-eyed account of how President Joe Biden and his aides might have fundamentally misread Vladimir Putin. Quote, for more than two decades, Joe Biden has disliked and distrusted Vladimir Putin. And yet, for the past year, Biden tried repeatedly to reason with the steely-eyed strongman. When the two met last June in Geneva, Biden urged Putin to end his years-long aggression against Ukraine and stop hacking the United States, telling Putin that he was hurting his, quote, credibility worldwide. In a call in December, as Putin was assembling tens of thousands of troops along Russia's border with Ukraine, which he first invaded in 2014, Biden pushed him to de-escalate and, quote, return to diplomacy. Earlier this month, Biden warned Putin that reinvading Ukraine would produce widespread human suffering and diminish Russia's standing. None of these efforts mattered, and actions that might have maybe changed Putin's calculus were not ones that Biden would consider. For Biden and his team, it's a deeply frustrating moment. Their strategy toward Russia has largely failed, despite their effort to adjust it over time to account for Putin's stubborn moves. You can check out the rest of that read in today's playbook, politico.com playbook. A revolution, an invasion, some pricey political consultants, and one infamous phone call. Ukraine has been in the geopolitical spotlight for most of the last decade, and unfortunately, it's there again. Most Russians feel embarrassed to be Russians um, because this is something that will stay um, for a while. And I think a lot of people I spoke with don't feel like it was their choice. Playbook's Ryan Lizza talks with journalists on the Russian-Ukraine border in today's Playbook Deep Dive about what they're witnessing in Putin's new war on Ukraine. Listen and subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. In a private meeting at Mar-a-Lago a few days ago, Donald Trump made a personal pitch to Senate Republican campaign chief Rex Scott. According to someone familiar with the exchange, he told the NRSC chairman, quote, you should run for Senate majority leader. It wasn't the first time he told him that either. Trump has repeatedly told Scott he'd be great at the job and should challenge Mitch McConnell. The Florida Republican didn't tell the former president no that day, though he's told reporters that he supports McConnell for leader. Instead, he quickly pivoted to the reason for his meeting. Scott told Trump, we have to focus on winning the Senate. My only focus is on winning. The Florida governor turned senator is navigating some treacherous terrain. And we're not talking about the Senate landscape. He's trying to balance working with the GOP's two most powerful figures in McConnell and Trump who also happen to despise each other. But Scott's predicament also underscores his rising stock in the party. The ambitious former businessman is seen as a possible presidential contender. Or more recently in some Trump circles, that's a dark horse candidate for leadership someday. This week only cemented speculation about the latter. Scott, 69 years old, made waves and infuriated some McConnell allies when he bucked the GOP leader's decision not to lay out a policy agenda for 2022 and instead released his own. Whereas McConnell wanted to make the election a referendum on Biden's unpopularity, inflation, and other Democratic failures, Scott unilaterally decided that Republicans should also state what they're for. His list of red meat proposals addressed topics ranging from term limits and finishing Trump's border wall to nationwide voter ID laws to a declaration that, quote, there are two genders. Scott's move opened a rare tactical divide between McConnell and the man leading the party's efforts to win the Senate. But despite internal criticism from some in his own party, Scott isn't soft-peddling his platform, spending seven figures from his own campaign account to promote it starting today. This weekend, he'll tout his proposals at CPAC. 
Here's what's up in Washington, starting with the White House. At 9 a.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden will meet with NATO heads of state for a virtual summit to discuss the security situation in and around Ukraine. At 11.30, Biden will receive the president's daily brief. Here's what's on the vice president's calendar. At 8 a.m., the vice president will participate in a virtual meeting of the Bucharest 9 group of eastern flank NATO allies to discuss the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Press Secretary Jinsaki will brief at 2 p.m. The Senate and the House are out today. All right, that's all I've got for you today. For more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Playbook's editor is Mike Zappler. Our deputy editor is Zach Stanton. Jenny Ament is Politico's senior producer of audio. I'm Rogu Munavalan. Have a good weekend. We'll see you first thing Monday morning. The federal minimum wage has been stuck at $7.25 an hour since 2009. In the same time, food and beverage costs have increased 18%. Transportation costs up 16%, housing costs up 23%, and medical costs up 32%. In 2018, Amazon introduced a starting wage of at least $15 an hour for all U.S. employees. A new, independent study found that Amazon's wage increase produced a 2.6% increase in the average hourly wage among other employers in the same market. Learn more at aboutamazon.com slash 15.